the Alfie Wattam podcast. Hey, this podcast is brought to you by WeLoveAlpha.com. If you're looking to grow and hire and scale your software engineering team in the UK, then go to WeLoveAlpha.com to hire the best software developers on the market. Everything across Java to C Sharp to PHP to Python to React and Angular and mobile and more. Go to WeLoveAlpha.com to hire the best software engineers in the UK now. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. This is episode 98 of the Alfie Wattam Technology Podcast, the show where we talk about what's happening in the world of technology, with tech news, the future, innovations, products, and so on and so forth. Uh, today in the studio, I've got a couple of guests who are engineering leaders, technology directors, and so on and so forth. Um, let's go around the table, get everybody's background. Um, Andy, do you want to kick us off, mate? Sure thing. Hi, I'm Andy. I'm the tech director at a digital product agency called Tangent. Um, we create enterprise solutions for the likes of SAP and Regis. Uh, I've been working in software engineering now for 20 years and like to think of myself as a developer, but these days more of a solutions architect. Okay, awesome, mate. And Tangent, what sort of tech stack are you guys working with? Currently, we kind of adopt a Jamstack approach. Okay. Um, we create decoupable front ends with React and Next. Um, microservice architectures mainly using .NET Core and Python, but we've dabbled with a Go recently. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, that's probably, probably that, that, summarizes it. That is a variety, you know, .NET, Go, Python, React. That is, that is very much a good combination, but um, awesome. Okay, cool. Nice to hear. Uh, Jess, do you want to kick us off? What's your story? Who are you, please? And what's your background? Yeah, so I'm Jess. I'm currently an engineering manager at Zigloo. So we, we currently have a financial app focusing on cryptocurrency at the moment. Um, so I manage quite a large team at the moment. Um, we mainly use Golang for backend. Um, we use React and JavaScript TypeScript for frontend. Um, prior to, well, previous to Zigloo, I was at Rightmove. Um, Rightmove, I did software engineering for a number of years. Um, and I was quite big on helping the women in tech community, um, focus on a lot of events and mentoring young women getting into tech. So yeah, that's a big passion of mine outside software engineering. Cool, thanks for coming on the podcast. Um, and of course we have Michael. Michael, what's your story? What's your background? What's your tech stack? What's, who are you? Yeah, so uh, I'm Mike Banner. So I'm an engineer manager at Moonpig. So um, started my career off as a software developer, been in the industry for just over a decade. Um, worked for numerous uh, companies prior to Moonpig and um, just kind of naturally fell into sort of like people management and like seeing people improve and just like really passionate about um, sort of like building people up in their careers and that kind of thing. Um, and yeah, so currently working at Moonpig, been there for one and a half years and um, just been working on like a massive like replatforming that we've been doing. So it's been uh, quite a challenge. Awesome. And what, what kind of codes, what kind of stack, what are you working with? Um, it's uh, well, so my kind of stuff, the, the domains that I work in is predominantly .NET, so it's like backends, AWS, uh, microservices, that kind of thing. But then the on the the website, it's uh, like React Next.js. Okay, cool, awesome. So you're all using React. That that's cool to see. And then we've got some some .NET, we've got some Go, we've got some Python, we've got some some Snake wrangling. We've got we've got all kinds of stuff <laughs> happening. Um, that's cool. That's cool. Um, there's a great C Sharp .NET joke i'm sure you've heard it a million times before but um why did the developer why did the dotnet developer need to wear glasses because he couldn't see sharp correct <laughs> i've heard that one before I know, i'm sure you have, I'm, sure you have <laughs> it's, um, I'm allowed to um, now that i'm a dad i can say that as a dad joke can't i uh, yeah that's that's cool um awesome well thanks for coming on um everyone and 
it'd be good to get your perspectives, your point of views <coughs> into what's happening in, in the world of tech. So um, first thing I wanted to talk about and show you today is um, Meta have partnered up with, with Ray-Ban. This has been happening for a little while now. However, the product hadn't quite caught on um, as much as some people had hoped. But um, from speaking with um, some contacts I know high up at, at Meta, this is something that they're going to be really trying to push um, over in 2023, largely because VR has obviously not really uh, you know gone to plan in terms of the mass adoption so they're starting to see ar as the route to vr which makes sense it's less intrusive it's a little bit easier um you know i'm already wearing glasses if i could just have a little you know ping of notifications directions etc that would be very very cool but um meta's product and entry into this space um let me show you a quick clip of of what they've released it's been out for a little while like i say but they're going to start to push it a lot more this year and then we'll have a chat about what you think if it's good if it's bad if it's anything in between. Um, if you are listening on audio, now is the time to turn on video to watch the uh, the clip. Um, there we have a, a lady walking down the street with some cool sunglasses on. And then you can just tap a little button and it will take a picture um, of them instantly on your stories. I believe that's why they're called the meta stories for uh, Instagram. That's the stories. It's quite spontaneous. A bunch of skateboarders. I don't see that happening day to day, but you can do video as well. So this is just video and also audio there so she can talk using uh siri or whatever the meta version is and then that will obviously um, start recording so um, there's no directions there's no um text alerts popping up it's it's not quite the vision of google glass what what, what they all hoped that that to be you know a long time ago this is a little bit more basic but um it's starting to become mainstream you know ar is not something that we're going to be talking about as an idea it's now something that we're going to be talking about as a reality some of the biggest tech companies in the world are releasing actual hardware and products around this um what are your your takes on this do you think this is this is uh, you know a flop if it's, it's something that's quite interesting and could be built upon to make it even better uh andy what's what's your point of view i'm glad you started with me i was hoping <laughs> to coin up everyone else's opinion um as you mentioned google glass didn't exactly no land well wasn't a success. Um, I kind of feel that there's probably space for it in the market that mm -hmm. raises lots of privacy issues. We've seen people fail that are probably bigger than Ray-Ban and Meta yeah. combined. So I think they've probably got their work cut out. And the subject of AR, like that, that no doubt will become part of our day-to-day -day lives. I think when you look at the future of driverless cars yeah. and what that the, the 25th hour, as it's been dubbed mm. back, is the hour we spend, or a lot of people spend driving, what that could be used for from an entertainment perspective. Sure. I think AR could be really interesting in that space, but personal wearables and I don't know, I, I'd be interested to see what they do with it. Yeah, I mean, it's quite primitive at the moment, um, but maybe that's enough for people to want to, to use it. I mean, you already take pictures, you already take videos. If you could just beep and then it's done, then uh, more convenient, isn't it? And, and that sort of thing. Um, Jess, what, what what do you think when you see the, the, the meta Ray-Ban stories? You know, I, I quite like this idea. I think there's a really big space for content creators yeah. and influencers right now, especially within meta. Mm. Um, you've got all the, um, the people who do reels and live yeah. videos and stuff like that. And, you know, it, it's a big way people are making money at the moment. So if people know they can make more money from, you know, having this wearable mm -hmm. and they can just record their daily lives as they go about and, you know, get more followers, gain, mm -hmm. you know, a bigger audience, I think a lot of influencers and content creators may potentially be quite interested in this. 
Yeah, I mean, from a content creation perspective, it's like the perfect tool. You don't have to carry around yeah. a camera. It's just always on your face and you just press a button or, or say the magic words and then boom, someone's on video, which might be a bad thing as well if you think about it, but we'll, we can talk about that. Um, what, what's your take, Mike, when you see the, the, these glasses? Kind of like takes me back to my childhood. So it's almost like a like a spy gadget kind of thing, yeah, yeah. like camera on your face. Um, it's an interesting one. I didn't really think of it from like the kind of um, like creator kind of perspective. I was kind of just thinking along the lines of, like it's not really something that I personally use myself, sure. um, but like I'm kind of just, yeah, just use my phone for taking videos and that kind of thing. I think yeah. the main thing for me it's it's around like the the privacy thing or um, like yeah, like just people being aware that other people are wearing these kind of mm. wearables and that kind of thing. And I think they've probably got like a niche element within the market because like I've I've done stuff with the police in the past, and I think these kind of wearables are quite useful because um, obviously they wear like body cams and that kind of thing. And I'm just thinking, can it provide them with yeah? almost like a stepping stone to using this technology for something a bit more, um, I don't know, some interesting purposes. Don't really know. It's, it's a good point about the privacy um, concern. So the way that they've addressed this is they've got a little light on it. Yeah. Um, however, you can very easily just take a Sharpie and, and, and get rid of that if, mm. if, if you wanted to. So um, we could have a world very soon where everyone's filming each other and taking pictures of each other and live streaming everything and nobody's of the wiser that, that it's happening. And these aren't just um, sunglasses. They also, you can get prescription versions of these as well, I believe. Um, right now, it probably is a bit obvious. You've got cameras and that sort of thing, but as they get smaller and smaller and smaller and less mm. uh, invasive, um, then the, the privacy issue might become more apparent. Um, do you think, um, Jess, if we start with yourself, do, do you think there's a, a risk, a concern of this backfiring if people are videoing each other without them knowing about it? Or, or do you think that might just be like a small, a small situation? Yeah, it, it's a funny one because obviously if you're, you're using this wearable, you're going to be potentially videoing every single thing. I mean, I don't know how it's going to work with memory and stuff like that, but you're potentially walking around and videoing everything you see. Whereas mm. when someone's videoing on their phone, it's kind of a bit more obvious. If you don't yeah, want to be in a sure. shot, you move yeah. out the way. Um, so yeah, potentially there could be a lot of concerns, uh, I guess, raised by people who um, aren't, you know, aware of what content creation is or, you know, um, not really into that kind of stuff that, yeah, could raise some potential. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's like, imagine if you were walking around with your phone filming everything. Like, most people would be like, no, no, I don't, I don't want that. But with this, it's if you have the thing blacked out, it's almost impossible to see. So um, it'll be interesting to see where this goes. Um, but what do you think, Andy, when it comes to the, the, the privacy side of it? I think privacy is all about consent. And when you're an adult and you're a consenting adult, it's fine. But if you're a child, mm. then there's concerns raised there. And the use mm. of these in schools or in gyms or in locker rooms or changing rooms, I think will raise serious um, yeah. concerns for a lot of people. That'll be a headline, won't it, in, in like a few months? Like Guarantee that, that it. Absolutely going to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, what well, what about like where this goes? Because um, I don't know if I would get these right now. They're a little bit basic for me. But when you start adding Google Maps on these, and it has a little arrow telling you where to get, you get a little text message. It pops up. You got the time in the corner. You got the weather in the corner. It's going to rain. You know, you get a call. You can do all different types of things. Basically, the vision of Google Glass. When when that becomes a thing, because we're starting to head in that direction. That tech was way too early, obviously. Um, but when we start getting to the point where that is now a thing um could you see this becoming mainstream 
changing the world. We went from, you know, computers to, to laptops to uh, iPads and phones to watches and then they'd be on our face and then who knows, in, inside us with the Neuralink at, at some point. But um, prior to that, do, do you see this becoming like a mainstream technology which everybody is using like like a phone perhaps? Um, what, what, what do you think, Mike, if you had to, to place a bet? I wouldn't say everybody. I feel like it's got its kind of niche purpose. Like, sure. um, I think like one of the, the main things for me is around like the, the safety element of it as well. So like, obviously, I, I imagine like the clever people behind these bits of technology are thinking about this um, like quite quite a lot. But it's around like if you're kind of displaying all that information on like your, your glasses and stuff, making sure that people are aware of the surroundings. Because like if you look at like Google Maps where they've got like the live capability where you can point around and, and see your surroundings and that mm. kind of thing. And um, if I remember rightly, they kind of like disable that feature if you are moving, mm. um, to make sure that you're just not walking out into a road because you're too focused on like, the screen. Point. And yeah. um, I think there's there's definitely elements of like the, the kind of like the safety element there of the of the, the, the users. Yeah. Um, but as I say, I think it's definitely got like a, a kind of like niche within the within the place, and um, it's yeah probably not for everybody. I wouldn't like say it's it's something that people would adopt um, as, as sort of ubiquitously as like, the mobiles and that kind of thing. Okay. So you don't think um, it will replace the phone, but you think a no, large percentage no. of people will still will still go for it. But yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay. What 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 do you think, Jess? I think a big advantage of this is going. A big selling point of this is going to be the convenience of it. You know, mm. like when you go on holiday not a lot of people want to be carrying their phones around now and you yeah. know you're afraid when you're in new places you don't want your phone snatched you don't want to lose your phone somewhere mm. so if you're wearing something that's physically attached to you um you know there's a lot less likeliness that you're going to lose this object mm. or someone's mm. going to take it from you so yeah potentially it, it could be a really good selling point of the convenience yeah and people will always pay for convenience won't they like that's why uber eats delivery etc exist i mean you can you can make that food yourself or you can press a button and, and it's there so um and from your side andy do, do you see this becoming you know mainstream worldwide or do you think it will stay small I think there's a niche use cases for it. The input's an interesting point. You heard this when voice came out and everyone was like, voice is going to change the world. But then you don't, don't hear many people talking to themselves in their phone because you, you know, still sure. not socially acceptable. It's a little <laughs> sure, bit weird, sure, right? Sure, I'm, yeah. I'm sure that, you know, people yeah. would do. And it'll be interesting to see how input works into this, whether voice is enabled on it. It'll be voice commands to start off with. Yeah. Um, one interesting use case, though, I, I do think that is really worth highlighting is probably the accessibility side of it. Mm. So with Google Maps and if you know if you're um, visually impaired, mm. finding directions used to be impossible. Now you can follow directions. You can listen to the phone. It says turn left, turn right. Yep. It helps you yep. like follow where you're going. Even with Street View, you can like uh, get an AI description of what the the camera's looking at. Yes, yeah. I think this is like a could be really open, like open up um, the accessibility yeah. market for people. Could have a lot of use cases there, which is like. A, a massive thing which I think more and more companies are going to be focusing on this year and, and, and beyond because um, a lot of the time companies have gone look that's a, such a small part of the market we're just not going to do anything about it um, but they've they've come to realize that um, even if it just does impact you know a, a small-ish group of people that can also have an impact on the on the other customers as well um, an example being um, you know it, like it reading out because I, I listen to, 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 to that even I'm, I might be lazy or something but I, I use um, Siri 20, 30 times a day or something and uh, I often use it more in a day than I do my thumbs when, when, when typing and stuff which is which quite interesting um, I guess the, the, the price for these if we had to go around um, they're not, not, not crazy crazy but they're not, they're not cheap either um, if you had to ballpark what, what, what would you say Andy? $350 okay, okay. what would you say? I'm going to say about Two grand. 
two grand. Okay, you think they're very pricey? Yeah. Okay. Okay. What do you think? I think they're probably like $299. Okay, okay. You two are very close. It's uh, they're three hundred pound. Okay, okay. So when they first were released, um, they I, I believe when they were like in the early early days, they were a lot more money than that. So you were you, you were more accurate there, Jess. But um, the Google Glass isn't actually dead. They've just got now like an enterprise edition for Google Glass, and those are closer to that price point that, that you mentioned there. Uh, I think that the enterprise ones are used for. Let's say you work in a warehouse and you have like a list of tasks that's always there, like showing you what to do. Whereas um, they're not very pretty, the Google Glass ones, whereas these are Ray-Bans. They're, they're cool. Everyone everyone likes to, to, to wear that sort of thing. But um, anyway, a- AR, something definitely to, to focus on a lot more for, for, for this year and only going to continue to to accelerate and innovate and get uh, smaller and, and bigger. And I think what's, what's going to be really, really interesting is when we start to get VR on something this small, because right now... Um, VR is so clunky and big and chunky. I mean, Tranoculus or whatever, but it's like having a huge computer strapped to your face. But when you've got that capability inside something this thin, this small, then that's when the world changes, basically. Uh, okay, cool. Um, next thing I wanted to go over was the emergence of robotic prosthetics. Uh, prosthetics, I can pronounce it. Uh, somebody tweeted this clip to me. Um, if you have clips that you want us to cover on the show, please tweet them to me. Um, my uh, Twitter thing will be on the screen at the moment. Um, this is showing essentially an innovation which has been worked on for a long, long, long time, but it's starting to get a lot better and very, very soon we'll be at the point where it will people with this tech will have an advantage to people that don't have this tech. So the people that are getting this for accessibility purposes will be more um, capable than the people that, that, that don't have this. Um, let me show you a clip. If you're listening on audio, please uh, turn on the video. Um, <coughs> this is a uh, lady attaching a uh, robotic arm to herself, which can be controlled um, through her, her thoughts. She, she thinks open hand. She thinks closed finger. She thinks open the, the pinky, and it does that as a result. All you have to do is, is think, and it operates the same way that a human hand would. She can grab grapes. She can do all different types of tasks that, uh, that, that you know a regularly uh, person with two two arms would be able to do. Obviously, this is just one example on, on the arm, but you know when you have legs, when you have eyes, hearts, etc., etc. I think a push up needs some work, but that's that's okay. <laughs> And uh, tight thing as well, obviously, the most important task of the, uh, the century. Um, so robotic prosthetics, am I pronouncing that right? I'm terrible yep. at pronouncing stuff. Um, really interesting space. What, what, what are your views on, on this, um, Mike? When you, when you see this clip, what, what, what comes to mind? What do you think? I'm impressed. Um, I think the, the main thing that stands out is the the fine motor skills that they've managed to get. Mm. It's like the fact that they can like sort of pick up like an individual like jelly bean or grape, whatever it was on the video. Yeah. It's just quite impressive. Like, I'd be like obviously I haven't looked into it. I'd be quite keen to understand how they managed to sure. sort of do that. Cause you say it's like managed by the thought. I'm assuming it's like related to like sensing the movements like tendons or something. In yeah. The, arm the, the electromagnetic yeah. um, tendons, all of that. But yeah. it's, no, it's very impressive. I think it's like, it's going to be like a game changer for people who've obviously like missing limbs and stuff. And yes, as you say, that'll kind of like lead on to like sort of like missing legs and that kind of things. It'd be yeah. really interesting to see how they can sort of enable people to, to kind of move forward with that. that. That was an arm, but there yeah. are other body parts already being released and used and, and sold and, and, and whatnot. Um, what's your point of view, Jess, when, when you see that clip? Yeah, I think it's it's definitely um, very interesting. Obviously, there's been a lot in the robotics scene in the past few years, and to be able to produce something like this, which is going to be 
a big enabler for a lot of people being able to um you know achieve more or do more in their everyday life that maybe they struggled with a bit before i think it's definitely going to be life-changing i really look forward to seeing where something like this goes and how it can help people yeah and what's your take andy it's a powerful video, isn't it? Um, it's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing yeah. to see what technology, how it's enabling people and being used for good. Um, I, I hope it's used and governed correctly. I, at South by Southwest last year, we heard an interesting um, threat emergence talk that mm. talked about prosthetics and actually hearts and how it opens up the new attack vectors and mm. potential new um, routes for, for exploitation. Like, you know, an emerging threat could be uh, a terrorist could press a button and turn yeah. everyone's heart off yes. within a certain yeah. radius, for example. Yeah. So I, I guess the security side of those um, prosthetics, I hope I said that right too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, must, should be a big concern of the manufacturers, but it's definitely for the, for the good. But where I see this going is if this keeps getting better and better and better, eventually you're going to want to have them because you're going to have an arm which can reach across the room and grab a glass of water. You're going to have legs where you can run 50 miles per hour and jump over huge, you know, heights. And you're going to have eyes where you can um, zoom in and, and live stream what you're seeing and then hearts. And um, obviously these are, you know, very complex problems which are going to be worked on a step at a time. But um, people are going to want to become cyborgs and up upgrade. And and perhaps um, it's not there at the moment, Um obviously but we're already cyborgs in some respect if you have a hearing aid or if you uh the new um airpods they have like a noise cancelling mode which is really really interesting um and that is great for it, it, it's adapting and changing the, the human um experience through, through through technology um what what are your thoughts on like people wanting to get this because in like five ten years people are going to want to be signing up to, to to get this sort of stuff um, what, what do you think, Jess? Yeah, I think it's going to be um, one of those things where, you know, where do we stop? Where do we yeah. put the limit on who can have these? And, you know, like where the prosthetics go um, themselves. Like, obviously, we've got arms and legs and those kind of things at the moment. But to what extent, what else is going to be produced off the back of this? And, you know, I think, yeah, it's about being careful um, t in to who is allowed to purchase these and yeah it, it's definitely a big worry um as well as you know um a great thing that they're doing yeah but it could be, it could be very dystopian you could have a somebody walking down the street with, with 10 arms and, yeah. and guns strapped to each of them so um, i don't know if, if there should be a um you know who who decides who gets this but to, to begin with it will probably be rich people that, that have this upgrade because uh, it's going to cost a lot of money um we'll talk about the price in, in in a second but it's not cheap um but eventually that will come that will come down and down and down and then people will use them um what about from your side andy what do you um think about how this could become an upgrade to the human experience i i guess you probably have to be missing a limb at the moment to need a prosthetic yeah limb. yeah you need to be injured in war or, or, yeah. or born without a limb so yeah. i think that's going to limit the market yeah don't get me wrong yeah. I, i'd love to be able to open the the jar of jam without asking my wife to do it but <laughs> sure, i'm not sure. going to chop my arm off and swap it with a prosthetic to do it would you get a third one though like if someone says you know you can attach one to your spine and then boom well i don't know i, I guess that this is the thing right it's body yeah. modifications and there's going to be risk involved with that and i, yeah. I don't i don't think that's probably a realistic market for it straight away I, I, I think to start off with you're right it's for people that need support with you know with uh missing limbs yeah um 
does raise a lot of interesting questions, I guess. You know, you, you, you've had things in the Olympics recently around gender fluidity and, and sure. com, com, like competition and how competitive sports work. That's a great question. You know, if you've got bionic legs. You'll and, be the fastest person <laughs> yeah, in, in exactly. the world, won't you? Yeah. yeah. So I think it'll raise a lot of interesting questions, but I, I won't be rushing out to get one. I don't okay. think. And what, what's your um, take, Mike, on, um, you know, people wanting to, to, to get these as like an upgrade? Would you, would you, would you be game for that or what, what do you think? Personally, I wouldn't. I feel like it's, it's something that should be like heavily regulated. Sure. Um, as I guess to like both Andy and Jess's points there, it's, it's something which is, if used for good, is to kind of like enable people who are like in like an unfortunate situation, they're missing a the limb or um, even if you go as far as like, I don't know, doing things like replacing the hearing and like yeah. ears and, and whatever. Um but I feel like it shouldn't just be something like just because you've got money, you can kind of augment your body with additional body parts just to sure. kind of like make you more powerful. Because um, it, it kind of goes back to like something I've seen years ago around sort of like exoskeletons and stuff where you can, mm. like people in warehouses, you can use them to like lift massive weights and, yeah. and that kind of thing, which it's got its purpose. And I think when you're going down the route of, um, like you were saying, Andy, of like modifying like the human body mm. to do things, I think that it, it needs to have like a certain purpose. And um, I think for now that definitely is around like a, a medical reason or just to enable somebody who's like born with like a physical disability or, or something like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, who would pay for this? Would it be on the, the national health care? You know, would it be it's a good question. private yeah. thing? Um, this opens up questions, you know, religious questions. You know, should we be, uh, you know, certain people might not want to get involved in, in upgrading. Their, I don't know if upgrade is the right word, but I guess it probably is if you're if you're taking something and making it better um, using technology. Um, and then is there certain things which should be off limits, the, the heart, the, the, the mind, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you mentioned about the, the hacking scenario. I think that's a really, really good, good point, Andy. Um, you know, I, I can see that being a headline. You know, the North Korea hacks this, uh, the president's heart or something and, and turns it off. I mean, um, could that be a cyber risk, you know, biohacking? Do, do you think that become, could become a thing? It certainly needs to be considered. I think if you're producing these prosthetics for yeah. people, you probably want to think about emerging threats. You can't just, you know, blindly go into creating any tech without considering security as an aspect. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I I I generally think that people that are probably producing these are are thinking about emerging of threats course, and how they yeah. could be, people could take advantage of them. Yeah. If not, they wouldn't be responsible manufacturers. Would you feel scared, Jess, around someone hacking your arms and then taking over control over, over your body? Yeah, I think I honestly would. I mean, you know, it's in all the movies, all the TV yeah, shows yeah. where you get these um, robots that go AWOL and stuff. So why why wouldn't it happen? Why couldn't it potentially happen to our hands and legs? Yeah. And would you be scared as well? Or would you would you be like, no, no, let's do it, let's do it. No, it's definitely a scary prospect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, would you, um, I mean, it's hard to say, would you get this because there's so many different parts, you know, the arms, you've got the legs, you've got the eyes, you've got everything, right? But um, would you would you be, if Apple released the uh, the eye arm or the, you know, Microsoft released, uh, you know, the next generation legs, would you, um, if it was a mainstream big tech company, and you know you go into the Apple Store, and you, you know it's a two-hour um, upgrade and surgery, and then you, you come out of it, and and then suddenly you're superhuman. Would you, uh, if it was the right price point, would would you be open to that idea? What do you think? I feel if it, if it was in a situation where I did need something like that, then potentially okay. I get. I think that's where it might go. So like obviously you've got like big companies of research and this kind of thing, but yeah. it probably will get to that point where there's a lot of things on the market, and it's kind of come down to so you go in and shop for the one which yeah like best fits your needs yeah. Um, so yeah, that's an interesting one. 
Would, would you upgrade, Jess, or you want to stay completely human? I think I would stay completely human, um, but I would be interested in seeing how many people um, uptake this and where it goes, and you never know if, if a few years with this all goes good, then I might be interested. Could I sign you up, Andy, or are you happy now? I think if I had an accident and I needed it, yes, yeah. Yeah. but I wouldn't go out and swap like my hands for robotic hands because I don't yeah. think you'd have the same feeling or touch or all the human aspects that you don't get with computers you might have superhuman strength but sure. you're going to be you're going to be sacrificing quite a lot i think for that yeah it'll be interesting if the people that don't upgrade get left behind though because um if they're you know it's a competitive world and if two people apply for a job and one of them can lift a huge box and one of them can only lift you know uh, normal boxes what who they're going to hire who they're going to pick so hello super quick video just to say i would love to give you a free copy of my new report how to hire top software engineers. So my team has surveyed almost 5,000 software engineers across the United Kingdom and their responses reveal simple steps which you can take to hire the best software developers on the market. This report is essential reading for all technology leaders across the UK. Just scan the QR code on the screen to download your free copy now or go to welovealpha.com forward slash hiring insights to download your free pdf um it'll be interesting to see how this bleeds into other areas of of the world but um yeah definitely a, a bit of a crazy topic um price wise um i mean this is such a, uh, a crazy number that you wouldn't have any idea really but um, if i said um uh, over or under 100 grand what, what, what would you say over over what would you say over over. Over. It's actually so for two arms it's a hundred grand. So fifty grand an arm at the moment it's in pounds. But um, obviously that price is gonna come down and you need to be a very rich wounded war veteran to get that at the moment, unless you have some kind of grant or something. But um, you know, if that comes down to the point where, you know, it's not um not a huge convenience for somebody to, to do, then who knows, you know, maybe we'll be uh, half cyborgs in, in twenty, thirty years. Let's, let's see see what happens. Um Okay, cool. So the last um, piece of news that I was keen to discuss is very much into the future. It's into the world of, of space technology. So uh, this is um, Spaceship Neptune. Um, this is a, a concept which is um, set to be um, scheduled from late next year, um, and it will give um, everyday people the opportunity to go into space. Uh, become astronauts that would be a great little thing to have on your linkedin tagline astronaut that would be uh, be very very cool um let me show you a clip of it um please turn on video <coughs> if you're just listening to uh to the episode and then we'll get your perspectives <clears throat> here is a basically it's a huge balloon uh, like a hot air balloon which lifts uh, a capsule into the air into space and in that capsule it has live um you, you know, you can live stream. It's got all the phone data. It's got Wi-Fi, etc. Um, you have a nice meal up there. I think you're up there for a couple of hours. You get the the incredible view, which everyone obviously would would love to have in their lifetimes. Um, and you have a fine dining experience. You can hang out with a crew on board. I believe there's only one person up there with you that knows how to operate it. So that's quite scary if they had a heart attack or something. We'll give them a give them a ro robotic heart just in case. And uh, and yeah, obviously a life-changing experience for, for, for people that, that are able to do that. Um, that is um, Spaceship Neptune, um, <coughs> potentially the future of, of space travel. Um, Jess, what's your perspective when you when you see that? Is that something that you're excited about? Would you want to do it? What's, what's your point of view? 
I think it's it's really amazing to be able to have the opportunity in your lifetime to do something like that. Um, I think I would be one of those people who's um, missed safety and waits a bit for, you know, everyone to um, jump the crowd first. And if I find it safe enough, then, yeah, I, w- I would definitely be down to go. Um, but, yeah, definitely something to watch out for, I think. Yeah. What do you um, think, Mike? Would you? What's your point of view on this? Yeah, I think it's really cool. I think it's uh, something I definitely look into. Yeah. Um, I think the the fact that it's not just something which is available for the super rich. Yeah. Um, which is which is is quite appealing. So yeah. Okay. Yourself. You had me at fine dining. <laughs> <laughs> not at space. <laughs> no, it does look amazing. Yeah, I think you know uh, the views would be incredible. Like, be such a such a fantastic opportunity and like experience of a lifetime. Yeah. Certainly be interested. Okay. Um, so flights are scheduled to start from late. 2024 um obviously it's it seems I'm, i don't know the, the the details around this but it seems safer than like going up in a spacex rocket you know which could blow up at any minute i'm sure the thing is some of these are probably going to go wrong like you're gonna we're gonna have stories of these crashing balloons bursting whatever happens right um so there's always a risk it's space at the end of the day but if you had a free ticket you know, would you, if, I, I don't have a free ticket for you right now, but if I said, hey, here's some free tickets, we're all going to go up to space, um, would you Would you say yes? Would you say no? What, what would you say, Jess? Hmm, tricky one. Um, do you know what? If it was a free ticket, I always um, see things as everything happens for a reason, and I would probably be like, yeah, fine, I'll go. Yeah, I think I probably would as well. Um, it's the kind of thing where if you said no, you'd regret it afterwards, and you'd be like, oh, I could be mm. in space right now, but uh, who knows. Um, would you would you take a free ticket, Mandy? Hundred percent. Yeah. 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 It looks. I mean, wow. It's such an amazing opportunity. I know that Jeff Bezos is trying to be like yeah. commercialize space tourism, and yeah. it's a fascinating area. It just seems like such a distant dream as a child, like looking at like NASA and yeah. International Space Station. That, yeah, I'm a big fan. I'd definitely jump at the chance. Cool. And and Mike, would you take a free ticket, or would you say no? Hundred percent. I think the the main thing for me would just be around like the the safety element. Yeah. Like, like for me, I personally just want to know what would happen if things did go wrong, just in case. Would you freak out if you were up there and and something happened? Oh yeah, I think yeah. I was. Yeah, <laughs> no yeah. doubt. I mean, what what can you do? You can't parachute <laughs> out of there. I mean, you're you're up there, so uh, it's the kind of thing where you kind of just need to give away control. You're like, right, I'm, I'm going up. Right, my life is in your hands. Please, Mr. Bezos, don't don't let me down. Sort of thing. Um, it's not it's not free, obviously. Um, it's it is a lot of money but it's not a lot of money compared to perhaps what space travel was to begin with because at first you were talking you know like hundreds of millions per astronaut going up um now you can be an astronaut um for oh it's 125 grand for a six-hour trip um to begin with and then that price obviously will come down as, as economies of scale happen 125 grand for six hours would you i mean if you had the money do you think that's worth it I don't have the money. I know, I know, I know but if, <laughs> if you have the money. Um, yeah, I suppose if money was no object, yeah. it, as I said before, it's a good experience. But I think obviously that's going to be a limiting factor for most people. Sure. Yeah. If you had the money, would, would that be something that you'd splurge on? I would. Um, it's a lot of money still, like regardless. Course. Yeah, I feel like it could be spent on better things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a good chance. But it's it's not, you know, it's it, most people spend more than that on the house. And, yeah, and, yeah. You know, so... I mean, I know it's only six hours and the house is for a yeah. lot, lot longer than that, right? <laughs> but um, 
I mean, that is probably a, the most life-changing experience that you can have, apart from like having kids or something, you know, going into space. That would be just as expensive. Yeah, but well, I know maybe <laughs> kids are more expensive. Who, who knows? But um, would you would you take that, Jess? One hundred and twenty-five Gs for six hours? If yeah, I think if I had the money, you know, it's a life-changing experience. Why not? Yeah, it's it's interesting, um, like where. Because of all the technologies which are exploding and getting better and better, it almost seems like space is perhaps like the most fascinating of them all, like the, the final frontier, right? It's, it's the ultimate like goal and, and vision. And, um, you know, if we're able to have in our lifetimes um, the opportunity to go into space or or maybe even go to, to Mars, you know, who knows if, if, if that would become a thing. Um, the Mars one is is very interesting because it's basically elon and, and nasa trying to get there i don't you know if there's many other people involved in that that mission at the moment um the the theory like the elon's grand theory is you know you've got you've got spacex to, to, to get us there you've got um teslas because there's no gas and on mars you need the, you need the sun and you had solar city to collect the energy and then power the teslas and then he has um you know the boring company to, to dig tunnels because it's really hot up there you can't you can't just walk around and you know get a, a suntan you need to kind of stay underground and stay in, in in close areas the difference between spaceship neptune and and mars is with spaceship neptune it's, it's six hours you you come up and then you come down and then you know you're you're hacking in, in the afternoon and having dinner right um with Mars, you, you're not coming back. Like if you, the, the first people that go there, perhaps in our lifetime, they they're gonna die on on Mars, and it's probably not gonna be a great like experience as well. You're probably gonna be living in a tunnel. You're probably gonna be eating terrible food. Um, you know, with a bunch of people that are gonna die at any given point. Anything could go wrong. Um, you're never gonna return. Um, so that's a very different type of space travel as opposed to this luxury type. Um, but would you would you all be up for it? You know, if you had a free ticket to Mars, if uh, if Elon walked in the room and said, "Look, let's let, let's get you there, let's do it," what, what what would you say, Andy? Would you would you be into that? I don't think so. No, the six hour trip to uh, be enough the, the edge of the, the atmosphere is probably enough for me. But like, that's that's a commitment, a life a lifelong commitment, isn't it? Yeah, and. Uh, yeah, I think that would be enough to make me out. Yeah. What, what would you suggest? Yeah, I think it would be a no from me. You know, there's enough to do on Earth right here, so I'm happy where I am. Yeah. And and yourself? Similar. I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. Quite happy to stay at home with the family. Yeah. I mean, it's it's the sort of thing that you would be in the history books for, right? Like, like you know, one of, one of the first pioneers there. But, I mean, you'd never be able to read those history books because you'd, you'd just be in a tunnel somewhere. Um, yeah, I know, crazy um, to see where, where space is, is, is happening. Well, one thing that is very interesting about the innovations in, in this area, and we were doing a podcast um, uh, the other week about this, is... Um, with the emergence of like Boston Dynamics, like the, the, the robots are getting better and better. Um, it's likely that the first time we, we visit Mars, we won't do it with people. We'll, we'll send robots up there. Um, we'll send 3D printers, which will print all the, all the houses, all the components and, and create a city for us. And then when, by the time we get there, we've got infrastructure in place and, and that sort of thing. If it was a little bit more, I'm talking, I don't know, 20, 30 years after the, 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 the setup, I'm pulling numbers out of the air, obviously, here, but um, if, if we had a situation where you could go there and you could have a, an amazing experience and you could come back, there's still a risk involved. Um, would you be more up for that sort of thing or is it still still not, not of interest? What, what, what would your point of view be? I guess it's the timeframes and getting there and back, right? Like, yeah. like there's, there's a fair few 
light years away, I guess. Well, there's, there's a window as well. So I think it's once every six months, I believe, or so. Um, that's when the planets are close enough to do the traveling. Um, yeah. So yeah, it, it would be like you wouldn't be able to leave whenever you wanted. There'd be a uh, there'd be a return ticket, and a, and that might that might get pushed out a couple of years, you know, depending on what what happens. But um, would would you be game for it in your old age when 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 perhaps this is a little bit easier to do? Maybe in my old age, yeah. It depends on grandchildren and yeah. what's going on here. It also depends on the state of the planet, right? Twenty, thirty years here, let's see what's left of Earth by that point if we continue yeah. going on the route we are now. We might all be queuing up to get there. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it kind of makes sense. I mean, there is the argument that why are we spending all this money doing this when we should be doing it on, on Earth to fix Earth? But at the same time, if Earth is, is you know, at risk of nuclear war or whatever, with obvious events that are happening, we kind of need to get people onto different planets to, to avoid the risk of us all going to zero. Um, would you sign up to a free return ticket to a, a more luxurious Mars, Jess? I think um, if I was at the point in my life where I'd I felt like I'd, you know, visited enough countries here, sure. um, been to enough places, I would probably take the risk and be like, you know what, Let, let's do it. It's a return trip. Um, whatever happens, happens. Yeah. Yeah. What about yourself? I guess it depends if like Mars offered something different to Earth other than like a barren landscape <laughs> with a city built in like yeah. underground. It's um, I guess at the minute the thought of it doesn't really excite me that much. Obviously, yeah, it's, yeah you go to space and everything else, but with the... Um, was it Neptune? Have you just shown us yeah, there? Yeah, spaceship like that, Neptune. That, that seems enough to me for now. Um, but again, like Andy was saying, it just comes down to like what well, the state of the planet's in. Is are things going downhill even more? And um, does that offer like better prospects? Yeah, yeah, interesting. Well, look, I mean, it, it's been fascinating to talk with you about, I suppose, what's happening in in, in the world of technology. Um, for the rest of the the, the pod, let let let's turn it slightly different to, I suppose more advice and recommendations because we've talked about the future but if we focus on on the present a little bit more you are all experienced technology and engineering leaders you have been in this in this space for um a while and you've 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 built you know great projects and teams and everything in between um a lot of people watching the show are perhaps starting out their careers they are um, in the early days of their their development journeys um be good to get your perspectives and advice for, for, for those people, kind of top tips for people that are looking to, to start out their career. Let's start right at the early stages, right? So for the junior developers, the people that are just getting into this, um, what would kind of be your, your kind of biggest advice for, for, for those people? If you could look back on your earlier selves, what, what do you wish you knew now, which you, uh, which you didn't back then? Um, what, what would you say? Probably start off in AI. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, and like machine learning and that kind of thing. I think just the, the way the industry is going as a whole. Yeah. Um, like the, the, the amount of change that we've seen over the, the last couple of years is just immense. Yeah. Um, obviously, there's a whole conversation around like where AI is going and how it's going to like shape the industry moving forward. But I think having like a really good awareness of that and how it's going to like change the, the landscape um, yeah. is, I know it's kind of like a broad topic, but um, I think just sort of understanding like how that can sort of help your career and, and everything else is Absolutely. It's quite important got an episode coming out next week on gpt and, and dali and um that's certainly the probably in my opinion the most exciting space if you mm. are starting out um certainly in terms of what's going to be built on top of this because you know the, the, the internet came along so much was built on top of that social media came along so much was built on top of that and crypto to, uh, as well and now with ai that 
what's going to be built, the companies, everything that's going to happen on top of that layer. Oh my God, it's going to change everything. I mean, it already has. I mean, uh, it's it's insane. G- GPT to, to me was like the biggest innovation since the iPhone because it was. And I know it's not perfect. It's 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 definitely got a lot of work, but I, it's the first time I saw something in a long, long time and went, whoa, whoa, whoa what the hell is this? This is this is insane. Um, what what would your advice be, BJS, apart from? Um, getting involved in AI, machine learning, what, what else would you recommend juniors uh, to do? Yep, so um, tech is always changing and we know that just from what we've seen in a few years. So I would take the chance while you're, while you're a junior developer and pivot around different areas of tech, you know, find out whether you like um, AI, um, machine learning, backend, frontend, whatever it is you wanna do, different mm. um, types of industries and, you know, don't always be afraid if you see a job description that you feel like, okay, do you know what? I kind of like the sound of 70% of this, but 30% of this, I have no idea what I would be doing. You know what? Just go for it. Like, mm. have a go, take a chance. And if you like it, you, you know, well done. If you don't, then, you know, the technology industry is so huge. You can just um, move on back to something you enjoy more yeah. or pivot again. And I think that's what technology is all about. There's definitely a benefit, right, in learning, um, especially in the early days, as many different types of languages and, and paths as possible. Because if you if you just stick with something and you go, look, I am a Angular developer, and then and then React comes out, and then then it's then you're like, well, you know, you need to be a little bit more agile than 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 just. Um, sticking to a path because when you're on a path you're on a path and it's hard to get off that a lot of the time so um, I think that's definitely a good tip um, what would your key advice be Andy for, for those starting out in their journeys I, d- I definitely agree with Jess it's important to stay curious um, have like a, a, a be interested have um, you know an interest out of work look at what emerging technologies things that are exciting but my, my biggest tip would be to not necessarily focus, focus on the shiny and make sure you grasp the fundamentals yes yeah because there's fundamental aspects to programming that will cross languages and they'll arm you well for your entire career from um, you know an AI perspective through to like a normal, more traditional software development perspective. I think just get a keen grip of the fundamentals mm. would be my biggest, I wish I did it. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, you, you the, the basics are the basics and they'll always be the basics, right? And if you uh, try to reinvent the wheel and run before you can walk, then you'll uh, you'll only fail. So, mm-hmm. um, okay, um, that's that's good advice for those starting out. Um, what about um, people have been doing the job for a while? They're, 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 they're spitting out great code, they got promoted, they're a senior, and then boom, you know, they, there's an opportunity to become a leader, to become a manager, to, to train, to coach, to inspire and, and mentor others. You know, you're all in, in this path now. Um, what advice would you give to people that are then making making that transition from individual contributor to leader of, of a team or, or area. Uh, Jess, what, what would be kind of your, your top tip for people that are just kind of going on that journey? Yeah, I would say um, definitely start off by analysing your skills first. I think when you transition into um, more, more of the leadership role, you have to identify your skills and, you know, what you want to improve on. Um, make a list, do a SWOT analysis on yourself and, you know, just keep focusing on improving. And I think another big thing is once you're in that area, ensure you're asking for constant feedback from people because I think, you know, that's one of the biggest ways we can improve 
going forward is, you know, we can all do our jobs and think we're doing well, but if we're not asking for feedback on how we can potentially improve, um, you know, whether it's meetings or presentations or just general one-to-ones with um, engineers, just constantly ask for feedback and that's how you can get better at your job. Yeah, it's often a case that you don't know what you don't know. Like you, you need to um, ask people for feedback um, and ask people for constructive feedback. Because if you just say, hey, how, how am I doing? Yeah, you're, you're doing amazing. Everybody's going to say that to you. But if you ask, you know, hey, can you tell me what, what was good about what I did? Okay, great. And what, what could be better about what I did? You know, what, what should I start doing, which I'm not doing? What should I continue doing, which I'm, I'm already doing? What should I stop doing, which, which, I, um, which I'm doing at the moment? Um, by asking those really good questions, that will allow you to become a lot more effective as, as a leader. Absolutely. Um, and uh, Mike, what, 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 what advice would you give for people that are looking to step up and and become um, a guide to others? Um, I think the, the the first thing is just trying to make sure it's the right thing for you because like people management isn't for everybody. Absolutely. Because um, obviously with, with most companies, you'll find that there's like a more technical route and a more people management side. Yeah. Um, and I think it's kind of understanding like, like the people side is for you. So I think the, the key thing is maybe to like to talk to other people in the industry, people within your own business and that kind of thing. And yeah. maybe even like have some like shadowing opportunities to make sure like the, the kind of things that you'll be doing in that role is relevant to like what you want to try and achieve within your career um so it's something that i did myself and it kind of proved that even though i do love the, the technical side i do love the people side probably a little bit more so yeah. i index more to that element and um yeah i think it's just kind of key to make sure that, that is the the right thing and uh, i guess it's almost like not being afraid to almost like make that jump and as we said before you can swap and change as well like yes. you're not almost like you're not always fixed in that position and you can try something and it doesn't work out for you you can always change back yeah um but yeah just just make sure it's uh the right thing, I guess. Yeah, it, it's not for everybody, and it doesn't yeah. need to be. You can be a great individual contributor and have, yeah. a, have an amazing career. You don't need to become um, a people leader. Um, but for those that want to, hopefully those nuggets uh, are helpful. Uh, let, let's say those people have um, taken that advice. Suddenly, they're they're incredible leaders, and and the next step is boom. They need to start building out their teams. They need to start hiring people. They need to start building culture and and and, and developing trust amongst their their employees. Um, what wisdom would you give to people who are looking to hire who are looking to 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 interview bring on board talent train them keep them retain them keep them happy keep them productive keep them motivated what what hiring insights would would you each share um what what would you say andy i I think with covid we're all working much more remotely now so i I think one thing would be to Personally, I think you should look to broaden what you hire, the markets you hire in, and the talent pool. Yeah, don't just focus at hiring sort of London centric or Manchester centric or wherever your offices are, or UK centric. Yeah. Open it up globally. Um, we've done that at Tangent, and we've hired some absolutely fantastic members of staff that we struggled to find in the UK with the market here. Mm-hmm. Um, and then fostering remote culture is hard. Mm-hmm. It's so much harder than face to face. So you need to look at how you can utilize, obviously, Teams calls and offline, uh, online socials. Then it's also important to fly people all over from wherever they may be in the world to have face-to-face time with people, yeah. either at conferences or um, the Christmas party. And that's something we do sure. as well. We fly yeah. over all of our staff for the Christmas party because we think it's infor- important. Of course. That's, uh, absolutely. I mean, those coffee boiler room chats are, are just as important as uh, the formal one-to-ones right so you uh, you in hearts and not not just minds but um, yeah I mean that, that's good advice if you're gonna want to hire you know don't just limit yourself to a geographical region consider remote and get the best person in the country in the world not just somebody 45 minutes down the road um, 
what's your uh, tips, what your key nuggets of wisdom be for those looking to hire and scale their teams? Uh, I think uh, Andy's just a little on my point, to be honest. Um, I think like when hiring teams, I think like one of the, the main things, especially like what I look for is, is kind of making sure people have got like a good growth mindset. Yeah. Um, so when you're building the teams, it's, it's kind of giving them the opportunity to expand on themselves and like innovate and, and everything. And it's, it's kind of like maintaining that culture of uh, like rather being like sort of rigid and like everything needs to fit within a box and yeah. making sure you're, you're getting people in who are kind of happy to explore new avenues and try different tools and technologies, that kind of thing, because that can like really um, like augment the business, I guess, moving forward. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's, that's the big thing for me, you know, technical skills, they can be taught, but, yeah. you know, that, that drive and ambition and, mm. and willingness to grow and, and learn and, and do and have and become and give and share more, that is uh, the difference, right, between an A-lister, a you know, 10x coder than, than, than somebody else. Uh, Jess, what would be your um, advice to those looking to, to hire and, and build out yeah, um, yep, same as sort of what's already been said, but other than that, I think another big important factor is company culture. You know, when we're looking for people, we need to identify our company culture first, um, how we work, how we want to move forward, what our next plans are, and ensure that we're hiring people who align with our future plans, because that's how we're going to have people who want to um, scale up with us and, you know, want to build this fantastic future with the company and enjoy the people around us and enjoy the way we work as a company um, and all the company culture so yeah, I think that's a really important thing. Yeah, Culture is important um, I think it's important to not just think culture fit but also think culture add you know how can that person um, you know bring something to the table um, as opposed to just looking for like the same background all the time otherwise you just get a team of, of straight white guys you know and, and that's often like 90% of the, the problem a lot of the time um, no diversity of thought opinion and uh, and as a result the product looks like the same because it's been developed by the same kind of mindset um all right so let's flip that um to, to, to finish off what about on the candidate journey um rather than advice for those looking to hire what about advice for those looking to to get a job um if we started with cvs perhaps that is the the, the stages of getting a job are you know the the point of a cv is to get an interview then the point of an interview is to get the job so if we broke it down to those core fundamentals and first principles um if we start with cvs You've all reviewed lots of CVs when you have people interviewing for you and wanting to, to work at your companies. Um, what what do you think makes a good CV? What advice would you give to people preparing resumes? What are the red flags to look out for? What are the mistakes to make? Um, let's, let's start with yourself. Um, what 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 advice would you give when putting together a, a resume? Um, I think the, the the main advice I'd give is be to tailor it to the job that you're applying for. Yeah. Because uh, obviously they're looking for like set skills and experience and that kind of thing. So a generic CV just kind of doesn't um doesn't wash with me personally i think it kind of shows that they're interested in the role they've done a bit of research as well and it kind of highlights the key things that you might be looking for and maybe even touching on some of those i guess the the things which are outside the box that you want to try and bring in as well like that culture ad that yeah. you mentioned yeah um so yeah it doesn't really take that long to to kind of like tweak a few things add a few metrics in there to kind of say like what are the the key results that you you, you fed into and that kind of thing and i think that's yeah yeah, probably the key bit of advice from me. Such a small thing, but yeah. if you're applying for a property company and you previously worked in, in property, then talk about that. Have a sentence yeah. at the top of your CV which discusses how you love that industry, that sector, and that's what you want to do more. So, yeah, that definitely um, good, um, good pearls of wisdom. Uh, Andy, what would your kind of key CV tips be? Um, I think the o opening paragraph is important. Yeah. You want to show you're passionate, enthusiastic, 
like all of those soft skills around you as a person. Yeah. I think having a mixture of skills, both soft and technical, are also important. So like showing what tech stacks you've worked with, but also sharing, sort of, uh, sharing the fact that you're a good communicator or you've got yeah. experience with documentation, whatever it might be. Um, and lastly, I think experience is key. Um, and if you don't have experience, so say, for example, you're a junior coming into a role and you're looking for a first role, sure. then projects, yeah. do some projects, show some case study, study, uh, studies, put some uh, GitHub repos on your cv yes show that you're doing stuff to kind of outside of hours to to create that experience for yourself and i think that goes a long way yeah i mean you um you can't fake experience um obviously that that's, that's not what we're talking about but we are talking about side projects hustles independent work that that sort of thing will separate you from other graduates in that situation that haven't got the experience so that's that's really important and also people that are good at what they do they just do it for the fun of it rather than having to do it because of work i mean um even if they're not getting paid and and if they're working on something exciting something interesting something topical and you can get that on your cv um then that will definitely make you stand out um, um, and uh, what what would your advice be, Jess, when it comes to uh, to resumes? Yeah, so I think um, you know we're all really good at highlighting our skills and you know what we can sell ourselves on. But I think it's really important to focus on our actual achievements as well. So have a few direct achievements in there. You know how you've helped build. Um, what types of projects you've built and you know the kind of people you've worked with or any kind of other missions that you've aligned with again this can even be outside skills so sort of side projects you do um, etc any courses you've done um, and yeah I think another thing that's really important as well in the opening paragraph just show a bit of your personality as well show who you are as a person like at the end of the day we're hiring people we're not just hiring you you know for your skills like every, most people in tech have you know a standard set of skills so you know show a bit of your personality show what you're about that's a really good point. I've, I've, there's, there's so many situations I can tell you over the years when I've got somebody a job um, through my recruitment um, agency because that person put on their CV that they're like Manchester United Football Club and, and the hiring manager did as well. And that, that started the conversation. Um, I, I don't really follow football. I don't know if that's a good example to use, but, um, you know, hobbies, interests, personality, um, something that separates you from just a piece of paper. Um, got five minutes left. So let's finish off with interview advice. Getting the CV gets you the interview interview then how do you get the job um what kind of be your your number one tip when people are going to interview you must have interviewed a lot of people you must have red flags things that you hate to see things that you love to see um what what's important to you when um when people are interviewing um andy what's what's your point of view um i think you should remember that the, the hiring manager wants you to succeed yeah so the person that's interviewing you wants you to be the best candidate wants you to be the right person for the role wants you to get the job uh, as much as you do so be confident go yeah. in there be brave try and highlight the things you've achieved and be proud of it and i think that will show through yeah yeah absolutely uh what would your take be uh it's something i've spoken about before with um like sort of juniors entering the industry and it's around um like the idea of like interviewing the interviewer mm. so in other words bringing like a, a good list of questions to ask them and um i guess in a way tailoring it so it's not kind of things that you could find out quite easily on the internet it's the the things that you really want to know about yourself so like what are the career paths for me and um, like what's a day-to-day -day like look like in the team and like what are the kind of people be working with and like really digging into the, the business and kind of projects you might be working on. So sort of the information that's not publicly available because yeah. it kind of shows that you're really delving into the role and you want to know more and yeah. um, it, like generally speaking, it will open up like a nice informal conversation with them. Yeah. Um, and again, it comes down to like Jess was saying there around bringing out the that personality of the, the individual and bringing that into the interview and just makes it a bit easier to, 
the manager think? It just shows that you care, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, if, yeah. if you look up the company on Google News or look at the hiring manager's LinkedIn page and you went to the same university, it's 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 something to reference. It's a mm. great, great point of discussion and it really does um, help separate you from, from the masses that don't do that sort of thing. Um, cool. And finishes off, Jessica, what's your top tip for interviews? Um, I would say, yeah, as just as much as showing interest, um, go back to the original job spec and you know how how can you show that you're right for this role look at the different attributes on that job specification and think about you know the examples and the the advantages and everything that you can bring to that workplace based on the job spec I think that's a really important thing to remember yeah keep it specific you know don't just write a cv for the sake of writing a cv look at the job description customize that to your resume tweak it change it and make them read they, they wrote the jd a lot of the time so if they're reading the cv and they're seeing words that are reflecting back to them that you've taken the time to uh, to read that pay attention to it and care then that's going to come forth in, in the interview as well Cool. All right. Well, hopefully that was helpful, useful for all of the software engineers, uh, tech leaders, etc. watching the, the show. Thank you, Jessica. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Andy. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for coming on. Thank Great to get much. your perspectives, your opinions into what's happening in the world of tech, the future and, and top tips as well. Um, for those watching, listening, um, you know what to do with, with the follow buttons and all of that stuff. Um, and we'll see you in the next episode. Thank you. Hey, thanks for watching this podcast. Make sure that you like, subscribe, follow, comment, etc., etc. And I'll see you in the next episode. The Alfie Wattam Podcast. Imagine if you were able to hire the next Elon Musk. Or if you got a job at Facebook, back when it was just a startup. Well, these people and these opportunities, they are still out there, and we have access to them. Access to all of them. At Alpha Technology, we specialise in software development recruitment across London and the UK. From React to Java to C Sharp and more, we represent the best front end, back end, and full-stack engineers on the market. This includes top developers from Meta, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, Google, and more. Our clients operate across AI, blockchain, VR, AR, fintech, edtech, healthtech, and more. From startups to global enterprises and everything in between. But Alpha isn't just a recruitment agency. We are also a tech community. We host podcasts, run meetup events, and lead EDI initiatives, supporting women in technology, BAME individuals, and the tech for good ecosystem. So, if you're a company looking to hire software engineers, or if you're a developer open to new opportunities yourself, then we are here to help. Alpha Technology. Recruiting for the future.